Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This episode is brought to you by Nourish by Nature Made, the number one pharmacist recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourish is a personalized vitamin regimen customized to you. Backed by 45 years of science, they remove the guesswork from your vitamin regimen. With thousands of happy customers, Nourish is a trusted supplement brand by many. Visit Nourish.com to create your customized package today. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Welcome to Gegen Pressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. Hey! Hal, that's me. This is my voice. This is how it sounds almost all the time, unless I'm sick. And I'm uh, back hosting, and I couldn't tell you how delighted I am. Can I begin by welcoming Manu Vett back, a regular contributor to this podcast. Manu, how are you? Oh, I'm very, very good. Glad to hear your voice back on the podcast. How are you? Yeah, it's How's a- it going? Well, <laughs> it's going. It's, uh, it's an interesting voice at the moment. It's had quite a lot that's been thrown at it. I am recovering from a cough and a cold, and uh, Chris Williams knows exactly what I'm talking about. Surrounded by the sick is not something that I'm particularly fond of. Chris has been made well aware in the past when I've worked with him that I don't do germs. Chris Williams, hopefully you have been feeling better than me over the past few days. Yes, thank you very much, Hal. Um, I have, and I hope you feel better soon. We should probably say congratulations to Bryce. So for anyone... That is listening, which I hope the people are still listening. Um, the reason Hal is sat in the hot seat is because Bryce has decided to go and get married. He has. That's the, uh, absolutely the right thing to say. I'm in the seat of heat because Bryce has decided to basically give up on life and, uh, <laughs> and get married. Uh, something that I've done, Chris has done. Manu, have you? Yeah, have you I have. Oh, I wow. Okay. Happily so. Well, happily so. I've been happily married for five years, I've been married for ten. Uh, so that means that we've got to find out if Matthew Marshall, welcome, how are we doing Matthew? Hi guys, how you doing? So the big question, Matthew, are you married? Uh, I was married. Great, well... Does that count? Awkward, brush, go, move on, move on. So, uh, I believe anyone single out there looking to meet... No, let's move on, that's not what this podcast is about. There's plenty of other podcasts that deal with that kind of thing. So, uh, Matthew, for those that haven't heard your dulcet tones before, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm living over in Germany and hitting up a lot of Bundesliga games and reporting for uh, full Football Grad Network and having a great time. I've been on the road... Uh, the last few days, uh, I've been to three games, three draws in the Bundesliga this weekend, and I've been to every single one of them. So, uh, <laughs> fantastic. But no, I don't mind a draw, and we've got plenty to talk about, so looking to get stuck into it. Oh, excellent. Okay, and Chris Williams, of course, you regularly, from the UK, but you also do travel overseas, a correspondent for a number of outlets, but we know you from the Football Grad Network, and you've been on this podcast many times before, so good to have you back. I'm just going to, before we dive into specific games, run through some of the results. It was a fantastically exciting weekend of action. Obviously, therefore, I start with Stuttgart nil, Dusseldorf nil. But not all nil-nils are boring. Uh, We'll find out if this one was very shortly. Nuremberg 2, Hanover 96, nil. As a Hanover 96 fan myself, that one stung. Uh, Wolfsburg 1, Freiburg 3, Augsburg 2, Werder Bremen 3. Hertha, they dispatched Borussia Mönchengladbach by four goals to two. It was arguably one of the games of the weekend. Uh, Hoffenheim won, Borussia Dortmund won. But there's plenty more behind that scoreline than meets the eyes. I know Matthew can elaborate on. Uh, Schalke nil, Bayern Munich two. My early season prediction of Schalke winning the league, looking more and more stupid 
as the weeks go by. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen won, Mainz nil, and Frankfurt and RB Leipzig played out a one-all draw. So if you didn't know the results before, you can now work out which games Matthew went to from those scores. And next time he goes to a game, get a bet on at least (laughs) nil-nil. So Matthew, can we start with you? Stuttgart against Fortuna Dusseldorf. Yeah, the game itself um, didn't have a whole lot of opportunities, but the the better one certainly fell to the away side and uh, man of the match performance from from Rod, Rob Robert Zeller really kept Stuttgart um, in the game. And yeah, I just, I just want to talk about Stuttgart as a whole and and just say that at the beginning of the the season, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in the project there under Typhon Korkut. And I think what's happened in the first few weeks of this season has is, is really just shown me that I, I, I got zero faith in, in Corkett getting to the end of the season. And to be honest, I think he'd be lucky to get to Christmas. I just, wow. despite their results being really good when he took over, I thought they did it with a very, very basic uh, tactical plan. Just a, a straight up 4-4-2 with, with two deep lying central midfielders, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but when you don't have much variation, the other teams are going to figure it out. And I think that's what's happening now. And they've only scored in one of their opening five games of the season, including that 2-0 defeat in the first round of the Pokal up at uh, Hansa Rostock. And I saw them at Mainz on opening day. I watched that game against Freiburg last week and I was at the game on Stuttgart. So seen them a few times. And unfortunately, I just don't think there's much going on for Stuttgart or Corkut. I think... I mean, we saw in this opening, in, in the game against Dusseldorf, he opened with Akolo on the wing and, and Nico Gonzalez out wide, which was a little bit different from his, his standard 4-4-2. But then early on in, in the second half, he, he canned that and went back to his trusted 4-4-2 with Gonzalez up front with Mario Gomez. But look, we've already seen Holger Badstuber beaten for pace pretty alarmingly against Mainz, which w- might put him on the outer. Uh, you know, Benjamin Pavard is really holding this team together. I'm not a huge, huge fan in Askasiba. He was a turnstile at times in this game as, as Dusseldorf went straight <laughs> through the middle and, and just carved them up, really. So I just wanted to say that I just don't see anything really positive at Stuttgart at the moment under Corkwood, unfortunately. And like I say, I'd say he's got next to no chance of getting to the end of the season and uh, lucky to get to Christmas. But Dusseldorf yeah. were, were organised here. I thought the wingers, John Zimmer and uh, Rahman, <laughs> were, were pretty good. Uh, Bodzek was good in the holding midfield role and well organised under uh, Friedhelm uh, Funkel, and uh, they'll be difficult to beat. It's a good bet. Uh, sorry, it's a good bet to bet against the Stuttgart coach getting fired because yeah. it's it's a coaching graveyard. Yeah, it certainly is, Chris. I have to say um, the <laughs> the term turnstile as an insult that Matthew threw at us there. I, I'm going to start using that in regular parlance, and I'm going to kick it off with you, Chris. You're a turnstile. Just think that's one that we'll now hear amongst the youth being thrown out. That's a brilliant one. I remember someone calling me a trumpet once. I think that's, forget it. I've got a turnstile for you. Well, and I'm also, call you a rusty old turnstile. <laughs> brilliant. If, um, if Ron Robert Zeeler wanted to just regularly practice repelling shots, he could have just stayed at Hanover. You know, just advice for you, Ron. Now, uh, that was an excellent summary of Stuttgart against Fortuna Dusseldorf. And uh, Saturday's matches. Of course, you mentioned, Matthew, that you also went to another game that was a draw. And in fact, I, I saw a little bit of your review on Twitter of another of those games. Do you want to talk us through Hoffenheim, Borussia Dortmund? Yeah, this was a really good game. I had a look at the, the replay, actually, and maybe Dortmund had some, some legitimate claims for a penalty early on when Pulisic went down on the edge of the area where um, uh, um, Schultz maybe stepped on his foot. But overall, Hoffenheim should have won this game. They had much better chances. They had a goal that was ruled out. I think they ruled it out for offside. At the time, I thought it might have been for someone holding, but looking at all the replays, it looked like it was offside, and I don't know how that was called. But either way, Hoffenheim should have won this game. They had better chances. They went the man up. I mean, it was a bit of a dodgy call, you might say, on Abdu Diallo for the straight red. But regardless, uh, Mahmoud Dahoud should have been sent off about 10 minutes before for, right. for a pretty blatant second yellow card. But... Yeah, they'll be kicking themselves half and I'm here, especially after, as I say, going a man up with 15 minutes to go, but they couldn't hold on. And it was, it was pretty poor defending because 
you know, the one man you want to try and wrap up in a situation is Marco Royce, and he came alive in the closing stages. And for the build-up to the goal, they just they left him wide open, and he he ran to the byline and crossed for uh, for Pulisic, who had a really good game, and 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 scored the equaliser. But yeah, Hoff and I will be will be really unhappy with this, I would say. But on the other side, they'll be really happy with Joel Linton, who just continues to improve. He started every game. He's got all the skills, all the attributes. He's got physique, size, speed, footwork, left foot, right foot. And if he continues to improve, he's going to be a massive player for Hoffenheim. And, um, yeah, similar things with, with Dortmund. You know, I think they really need Alcacer to come back. He, he, he's missed a couple of games with injury, but still a work in progress there. And uh, Kagawa got the start here. But, um, yeah, really enjoyable game. But Hoffenheim should have taken all three points. And Matt, uh, thoughts on Mario Götze being uh, left out again? You know, Götze is one of those that he left, he's come back. Does he actually need to leave again to rekindle his career? It's interesting, Götze. It just—it's hard to see how he fits into this this team at the moment. Um, we've seen Favre go with a four-three-three, and, and he could, he could slot into that on, on on the wide central midfield position. But in the four-two-three-one. You know, he could probably do a job in the number 10 position too. So I don't know what's going on here. There's, there's something going on that we, we don't know about, I'm sure, behind the scenes. And, and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But uh, so I should have mentioned also that um, Hoffenheim had a, a wonderful chance to win this game in the last minute with um, Schultz crossing the ball for Belfordil, who came off the bench. And from about a yard out, I think he missed it four yards over the bar. Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't, you don't want to do that. Well, I did the match report on this one and... Um... It's, it's, I still don't understand how he missed that one because that was, I think everyone in, in Sinsheim thought that was going in. Um, it's, it's really incredible how Hoffenheim, how wasteful Hoffenheim have been and maybe to make the, the crossover to the Champions League game because it was the exact same story there that they, um, for about 70 minutes, they, they dominated Schachter Donetsk and were not able to score that, um, that winner. You know, that, that game, that, that goal that put the game away and instead Shakhtar Donetsk equalized, right? And I think it's been really something that they have been struggling with despite the fact that they are playing basically against Shakhtar Donetsk. They were playing with four strikers because their entire creative midfield was out. So Joel Linton was actually playing in a midfield role, um, which I thought was very interesting. But it's really interesting how Hoffenheim are just not able to convert some of those big chances despite the many strikers that they have in their lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Dortmund, they won in the Champions League against uh, Club Bruges, or Brugger, as some people say, in my opinion, incorrectly. I actually went to Club Bruges uh, to let, like have a little look in the club shop when I was on a holiday. And I went in and I said, uh, do you do tours of the stadium? And the woman said, no, this is impossible. Not like, you know, not today or uh, you know, come back later. And I was like, right, I'm not going to buy a shirt. And then I looked around. They were really nice, and I, and I still bought one. So uh, I think she won. Uh, not the best game in the world, but Dortmund did get their victory. I don't know why I bothered watching that game. It, it really was not the pick of the Champions League action. We'll actually get to some more of that European action. But before we move on from this game, uh, Chris, off the pitch, there's also been some trouble. Explain the situation. Oh, yeah. Well, this will be with the Dortmund fans. There was, I think, 33, 32 of them received a banning order from Hoffenheim um, from their from the ultra contingent that is within Dortmund. Um, over the previous few last encounters, um, they have targeted uh, Hop, who is the owner of Hoffenheim, um, probably had their attentions diverted elsewhere a little by the rise of RB Leipzig, but um, Hoffenheim still looked on upon a side that have came up the ranks very quickly, no tradition, no history, etc., etc. Um, and yet they targeted Hop and his wife, um, and he's not taken too kindly to that. So he, um, he issued some banning orders, and the response was for the Dortmund fans to unfurl a um, banner with Hop in the middle of a, some crosshairs. So we'll see how Ooh. this one works out. There was also yeah, some other banners. There's, nice. there's a picture in Kicker and uh, a commentary by a lawyer, Chris, as well. Um, one of the banners reads, um, you son of a, you can fill in the blank. And um, a lawyer has suggested that games like that shouldn't even be um, started. You know, if there's banners like that in in the 
at the Dortmund end or the away end and targeting individuals or officials uh, on a game like that shouldn't be even started. And I mean, we, we, we discussed this off the pot a little bit, right, Chris? The, the history behind this, because this goes back to 2009 when Hoffenheim were first promoted. Dortmund have, and you know the fan scene a lot better than I do, but Dortmund have some very active traditionalist fan groups, right? That are really for, really in for 50 plus one against models like Hoffenheim. And they have been at each other for, I mean, the better part of nine years now, right, Chris? Yeah, just don't mention to them that Dortmund are listed on the stock exchange because that doesn't get you a, a very nice response, <laughs> as I found out once. <laughs> yeah, okay. don't don't show them the mirror of the truth. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 a weird one. I mean, this has been going back and forward, and I don't think the last word has been spoken on this one either yet. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I don't really like hearing about stuff like that. I, I I've never been into any of that off the field nonsense, and uh, anyone looking at me would be able to tell you why. I don't look like Bryce. Now, uh, non-European clubs, the ones that haven't been in action in the either Europa League or Champions League, but still have been competing and competing quite strongly in the Bundesliga. Manu, Hertha have been good fun this season. Not only are they still undefeated, but they also play some pretty good football. We've often described them as a sleeping giant. Have they awakened from their slumber? Oh, Chris, I think we need to discuss this in great length because... <laughs> um, well, hang, hang on. First of all, I need to check that. I'm not dreaming because yeah. we've already said that hurt to play some good football. Um, and, and, are, and is the sleeping giant awakening? The past two seasons that I've spent a considerable amount of time at Hertha with you, we've had, well, we haven't had the socks board off us because we've seen them get five and six goals pasted past them. We saw good football though. Yeah, not from Hertha Berlin. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, I did the, Final game of the season, uh, not last year, the year before. And uh, Leip, uh, it was Leverkusen that absolutely humiliated them 6-2. And then Chris and I went last season for the final game of the season. And it was exactly the same scoreline, 6-2 again. Mm. And I, I said to Chris jokingly, I bet you this is the last time I get accredited for last game of the season at the Olympiastadion in Berlin. Um, because <laughs> I got the same <laughs> scoreline twice. So I started to see two really, really good games. Um, eight goals. I was very happy, but, um, hurt there were not that happy, I guess. But yeah, I mean, we have been talking about this for such a long time because, uh, Chris and I, we've been to Berlin a few times now. Um, we, we love going to Berlin. We love spending time there. We, we think it's, it's, it's a great city. It's a fantastic place. We, we, it's a fantastic place to do our yearly football grad trip. But, um, for some odd reason, Hertha just doesn't, doesn't hold up the standard that the city of Berlin puts out there. You know, everyone talks about Berlin being such a hip and modern city, attractive for young people a place that you want to go to, and then you take that long S-Bahn ride or U-Bahn ride um, out to the Olympiastadion, which is, I think is a beautiful stadium, but it's just a bit too big for Berlin, for Hertha. Um, it's it's great that the at the, the yearly Pokal final, it's great when the national team play there because they can, the sense can sell it out, but it's just too big of a facility for Hertha. And the problem is, of course, when there's only 40 to 50,000 people in that, that a stadium, a stadium that holds 75, it seems a bit empty. And that emptiness is, of course, then magnified by a hundred when the team on the pitch doesn't play the most attractive football. It's always been result oriented football. Um, but that's changed. Um, this year, I think that, you know, they, they have a very, very good youth academy. Berlin has always been a melting pot for very good young players, um, to, to get, come through there. Um, just to name a few, the two Boa Tank twins have, went through um, Berlin's youth academy setup. Uh, Nico Kovac, the current coach at Bayern Munich, he's actually a Hertha Berlin product as well. So there's a lot of big name um, individuals that have come through the setup, but um, they just now have been able to really leave a mark on Hertha themselves. But cu currently there's a lot of young players coming through. Um, and one of them is, of course, Arne Meyer, who's, who's been a standout. And then, of course, they have been excellent in... Um, signing the likes of Lazaro, Dil Rozon has been um, the early signing of the season, fantastic player. And then uh, Duda, um, Andre Duda, who has been injured for the last two seasons, he's been the player of the season so far for me. 
So um, lots of positives going on at Hertha. And I think, I mean, Chris, it's about time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I've been shocked, actually, at the type of football that they have been playing. Um, it's, it's been exceptional at times. I, I can just think back to that game that we saw last season where they could hardly keep possession of the ball. The distribution was really poor. Their position on the pitch was awful. I mean, if you compare that to this game especially, um, I thought they were excellent. I think it probably helps that um, Dardry changed the way they played a little bit with his tactical formations, but he seems to have the players now that interlink well together and that are able to perform at the at the top end of the pitch. Obviously, um, Abisovic has got a couple on the weekend. Um, they're also getting goals from their um, right, both right and left backs at the moment, bombing on with the wing backs. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good times for them. I'm just hopeful that they can keep it up. Um, and then if they do that, my only fear would be next season because we saw what they were like when they got back into Europe. Um, it wasn't the best. And then obviously you've got all the problems, squad depth. Can they then start playing on a Sunday and a Thursday, week in, week out? Um, but at the moment, I think we should just enjoy Hertha Berlin's football for what it is and long may it continue. Yeah, quite agree with that. And hey, Chris, if Manu doesn't like big stadiums unfilled, we better not take him to Hamden for a Queen's Park game. Or to the Etihad. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh wow too soon uh by the way uh, do you remember uh ludicrous the the rapper i'm sure i'm not the only millennial on this podcast uh I, i'm very much hoping that duda says his name duda nope just me okay good we uh to be someone listening that will get that reference now uh bayern clinical in the champions league and in the bundesliga of course those are words that have been said in that order before uh they're playing under kovac so well i know previously on this podcast you've asked if we underrated him but such a focus on simply getting the job done manu yeah i I think it's okay to be wrong um we do get things wrong i think we got this one wrong kovac has been remarkable Uh, i think for me it's really outstanding and I, i i chatted with um you guys off the pod about this it's really interesting how he, his team management is, is, I've not seen anything like it at Bayern before. Um, when they go up by two goals, they just manage the game. They just, um, let the ball circulate. They, their squad is a little bit, um, a little bit thin at the moment. They have a lot of injuries and they don't seem to be faced by that at all because Kovac is very good in his game management. And that's something that we've, of course, questioned because, we saw at Frankfurt, they always played that high power football. And that, that was something that we asked ahead of the season. And we, and we remember Chris and I, we discussed this, um, actually after the Pokal finale, how is Kovac going to do the, the game management, the team management, um, at Bayern? And I think he's done a remarkable job. They only have 16 fit, um, field players at the moment because of so many injuries. So what do they do? They go to Benfica, they score two goals, and then they just let the ball circulate for a good 30 minutes, right? Um, they basically did the same against Schalke. They did the same against Leverkusen. It's, it's really remarkable how they are able to conserve the energy to really draw out games. And, um, I think for me, that is maybe the most remarkable thing that Kovac has done to say, okay, you okay, boys. Um, I know under Pep Guardiola, you played the kind of football where you smashed five or six scores past your opponent. But then by April, when the big games came, you were out of steam. We're not going to do this. We're going to manage every single game. And I think that efficiency is probably the, the scariest part about Bayern at the moment. Matthew, what have you made of uh, Kovac and the job that he's done? Uh, it'd be amazing if he was actually able to win the treble with Bayern. No one would have seen that coming. Yeah, it would. I think he has the benefit of being able to go in there and just simplify things. There's not a whole lot that needs to be done with a team that's just so... This has so much star quality. You know, you just put the, put the players in the right positions and, and let them get on with the job. I'm not really surprised that they're, they're dominating. And like Manu said, they're, they're winning every game easily. You know, 5 0 in, in the Super Cup. Okay. They only won 1 0 away in, in the Pokal. But apart from that, every win in the Bundesliga has been by, by more than one goal. And they're just crushing everything at the moment. Benfica uh, never stood a chance. So yeah, I'm quite impressed with, with Kovac so, so far, but. We'll only get to see what, what this club is really made of once we get into February and March. Yep, you're right. It's it's too early to tell, uh, which is why I still have hope 
that Schalke uh, might do something this season. I messaged Manu at the start of the season. I said, look, I've, I've got a sneaky suspicion that Schalke are going to win the league or at least challenge Bayern. You called me an idiot and something else that probably isn't repeatable on the podcast. They are continuing to struggle. It's okay, Hal. I, I tip Bayern <laughs> Leverkusen for the championship and look at me now. Um, <laughs> we all get things wrong. It happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, Schalke, I'm not that surprised. Uh, I think that I, for me, the big one was Dominique Tedesco. Does he, is he going to be able to take the football that he played last year and turn it into and evolve it, right? Into something different. And I think, and this is something else. Chris, we discussed this. Um, Schalke really benefited from the other teams being poor, the likes of Dortmund being poor, um, Leverkusen being poor, you know, that really kind of washed them to the top of the, of the table. Um, they were our second because the rest of the league wasn't very good. So, and I think this year they've just been found out. And, uh, I remember Chris, you made that prediction last year with Tedesco. Um, it didn't quite work out, but I think fundamentally you weren't quite, weren't really that wrong. Well, I think I was quite wrong because I said he'd be sacked after four games and he's still there. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you are quite right. They were uh, they were poor for times last season. They were just about scraping one nil victories. Now I know there's an argument that if you win all your games one nil, you win the league, and I do buy into that a little bit. But some of their play was particularly poor. Um, I was at Schalke for the visit of Hertha Berlin. I think it was. Yeah, it was Hertha Berlin um, roundabout. The mid-stage after the um, start of the of the second half of the season, and they were particularly poor. And even though they were doing quite well, um, certainly the the stand I was in in the press area, the uh, gentleman and lady sat behind me weren't particularly um, on side with the type of football that was being played, and they were very vocal at letting that know. So even then, there were signs a little bit that that maybe even when things were going good, it wasn't going to the way that maybe Schalke wanted to play football. But then, of course, they had some fantastic results, uh, most notably uh, against Borussia Dortmund at Dortmund, and then obviously in the away game back in the Veltins Arena, um, sorry, the Schalke home game in the Veltins Arena, they put Dortmund to the sword, which I think may have papered over a few cracks that they had this season. But yeah, they, they've not started well. And now they're the only side that haven't won this season. You know, they've played for, lost for, and are rooted to the bottom of the table a little bit like they were, um, I think it was two seasons ago, wasn't it? It was mm. maybe six or seven matches in until they finally won their first game. Um, and they had a couple of manager changes that season. So we'll see where this one leads them. I think if they get outplayed by Freiburg, who had a fantastic result on the weekend away at Wolfsburg, um, it, it could be pretty much curtains-ish um, for Tedesco because with them not firing well in the Bundesliga, I mean, let's be honest, they're not really going to get into the latter stages of the Champions League with a, with an eye to qualifying through winning it. So the Bundesliga is their only way back in to next season's Champions League. And I think it will put them back five or six years if they were to dip out of it again already. Yeah, yeah, they were they were very disappointing in the Champions League, weren't they? That one all draw against uh, Porto. You had uh, Briel Umbolo with an Umgolo, and then uh, also Ottavio with a penalty. So that was uh, one all. But Schalke would have hoped, when you're playing at home in the Champions League, to get three points. One point is still enough at the moment to think that they could qualify, but it's not looking likely. And as you say, they ain't going to win the Champions League to get back into it next season. Matt Anyways, was actually, yeah, Matt was actually at that game. Uh, the, the Porto game. So, I mean, we discussed this yeah. in, in great length, right, Matt? And I, I personally think if you're a German Bundesliga side and you're playing at home against a team from Portugal, and that's no offense, you need to get the three points. So I think I put this down as a disappointing result. I thought they competed quite well against Porto. I like what Tedesco did with the, he basically sacrificed a forward and went with three central midfielders in Bentaleb, McKenney and Sodar. And McKinney and, and Serda had really good games with, with Bentaleb playing the holding role and, and Mbolo played really well up front with Oot. So I thought that the, the forward line sort of sorted itself out with Mbolo and Oot and, and, and having those three central midfielders worked really well. And it looked like he went away from that, this game and, and brought back uh, Franco DeSanto. So I didn't 
quite understand that, especially coming up against such a strong team in Bayern. I, I see that Serda wasn't in the squad, but I thought he took a, a few positive steps against Porto. Never really expected to win this game against Bayern, but they've got a couple of really crucial games, as you say, Chris, away to Freiburg, which isn't going to be easy, and then a home game against Mainz before they get back into the Champions League action uh, with an away game at Lokomotiv Moscow. So, yeah, a couple of crucial weeks coming here for, for Tedesco. I still think he's got a lot more credit in the bank than, than what you guys uh, think, but we'll just have to wait and see how they go. Yeah, but Schalke is such a volatile environment. This is, this is really, I think, I think you, you're right, Matt, that they will, they, they will give him, um, more credit than probably we are giving him. Um, but at the same time, having seen Schalke over the last, I've been following the Bundesliga since the nineties, early nineties, and Schalke was always a club that would go from one, from high to low. Um, they're such an emotional club and environment that it's very difficult to work there long term. Um, it's very few coaches have managed to do a long term project. And, and that's always been the frustrating thing about Schalke that as a club, they have a lot of potential. They're the club with the third most members um, in Germany. They have the third largest fan base behind Bayern and Dortmund. They are, they are a giant. I'm not saying a sleeping giant. They are actually a giant, not just in Germany, but on the European uh, level. But for some reason, they just can't get that consistency. It's just up and down, up and down all the time. And um, Chris is quite right. Even last year, when when they were winning games, even that was not good enough for a lot of the fan base because it wasn't beautiful football. Because when they played um, during the high times, when they were really successful in, in the... 40s, 50s, 60s. I know this is a long time ago, but a lot of people, people in the Ruhrpott have long memories and they were playing the most attractive football in Germany then. And that's always been the level that they uh, get put on. So it's, it's really, it's a really weird club in that sense, a powder cake all the time. And that's, I think that's what, if I was Tedesco, I would be worried about this because it's, it doesn't take long for that powder cake to, to erupt. Mm, I, think he's saving, no I think he's no saving grace on this <laughs> could be that they don't actually play Dortmund until December, do they? So yeah. there's still a bit of time to, to sort it out. If they were in this rut that they're in at the moment and maybe they play Dortmund in the next couple of weeks, I think it could be a problem for them. And that's what their fans will, will view it on. Um, you know, the two biggest games of season are without doubt are the, the two derby games. Um, and I think it will play into their hands that they do have at least a couple of months to sort themselves out before they welcome Dortmund to town. Yeah. All right, shall we move on to Friday's matches? Uh, Leverkusen turning it around, quite literally, 2-0 down against Luda Goretz. Still nothing. Okay. Uh, they won that one uh, 3-2, thanks to Brandt and Havertz. Those two were also difference makers against Mainz. So, Manu, where do we begin with this one? Sorry, Sunday's matches, I should say. Well, they won. Um, that's good because, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm not surprised you went to me. Uh, <laughs> I think every Leverkusen result up to this point, um, just made me look like an idiot. Uh, I'm going to admit it. I had them tipped as the champion and I definitely got that massively wrong, but it happens. Uh, I, I make, I make mistakes like everyone else and I'll. Not over I yet, a lot of games still to play. No, it's not going to happen. Um, no. You're not going to win the championship. I think they could still do well. I mean, they had a similar start last year, and then um, it was only goal difference that kept them out of a top-four finish, right? So I think that they they could still compete for a Champions League spot. I think there's a lot of things there, There's, but I, I think at the same time there's also a lot of problems. I, what has really saved them in the Europa League where they were two goals down against Ludogorets. And again, no disrespect, but you have to win your European games against a side from Bulgaria, if you're from Germany. I mean, we're talking about clubs and financial capabilities that are second only to the Premier League. You have to win those games. You know, there is no, no other way about it. You have to win those games. And they did. Um, they were two goals down. They turned it around. Um, Harvards and Brandt pretty much saved them. Um, the two of them have, were brilliant. They turned it on and got the job done. 
And the same thing against Mainz. Uh, they, it was again, it was a cross by Brandt, Harvards with the goal. And I guess those two are just miles ahead of everyone else in the squad. Now, some people say, well, there isn't, there isn't any character in this team that the defensive setup doesn't work. And I think there is, there's some truth to that. At the same time, you look at the, the talents that they have in this team. I think that they should be doing better. And, um, I mean, we can, Matt said this, Matt, you said this last week. We could probably do an entire podcast about Heiko Herrlich. So, um, it's, it's kind of interesting, um, how we just keep discussing him and his tactical setup, isn't it? Yeah, there's nothing to really add here after this game. I wouldn't have thought about Bayer Leverkusen. We know that Julian Brandt, Kai Havertz and, and Leon Bailey are the stars of the show there. All I will say is that they get the clean sheet. I watched most of this game actually at um, at, at Frankfurt and Mainz had, had quite a lot of opportunities in the, in the second half after Havertz scored. So I haven't changed really any opinion on, on Leverkusen or, or Herlich after this match. You know, they are what they are and, and they've got tremendous potential, but I'm not sure if, if he's the manager to, to really realise that. Now, I do want to move on to a game which I know, Matthew, Matthew, you're going to have some thoughts on. Watching highlights of RB Leipzig and RB Salzburg made me thirsty. I had a monster. So this was a match <laughs> with a big storyline. But what is what is actually the relationship between the two clubs? Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want, anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look. Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. <clears throat> Matthew, I'll throw that one at you. Yeah, leave that to Manu, I'd, I'd say. Oh, really? Oh, Manu, I mean, if you're... Oh yeah. At the bit. Go for it. Yeah, Chris and I we've I think we've discussed this many times, but um Okay, so the relationship. Let me let me break it down, alright? Um so Red Bull is a big conglomerate that produces an energy drink and various other drinks. I mean they I think they now have Coca-Colas and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, all in there. In their portfolio, but it's known for basically making an energy drink, not not the one that you consumed before this podcast haul. Um, it's a bit, of, it's a bit of a smaller can. It's not quite as extreme as a monster. You should probably go to a doctor now, eh? Now that you consume yeah. the monster, um, I think, I think health. I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's a health advisory on that can. Let's see if I get to the end of the podcast. Yeah. Let's put it that way. If you tune out, we know why. No, but um, <laughs> the. The, the relationship is on paper is quite simple. I'm, I'm saying on paper because that's the only thing that counts when you look at UEFA licensing. UEFA cannot go and investigate what's being talked about. They can only investigate what's on paper. On paper, it's quite simple. Currently, RB Leipzig, right? Rasenballsport Leipzig, not Red Bull Leipzig, Rasenballsport Leipzig. They are a membership club. With 17 members, yes, all those members are high-ranking officials at Red Bull, but they are a membership club of 17 members. Those, that membership club owns the limited liability corporation uh, that runs the soccer business. Every, every club in Germany is like that, right? They have 50 plus one percent of the voting right at that LLC, but that LLC is owned by 99 percent by Red Bull. The, corporation in Austria, right? So that's the setup at RB Leipzig. On paper, RB Leipzig is not owned by Red Bull. Only the operation that runs the football club 
is owned by Red Bull, right? Which in turn is owned 50 plus 1% by the 17 members that all work for Red Bull. Yeah? It, trust me, on paper, Red Bull does not own RB Leipzig, even though it really does sound like they do. In okay. Salzburg, in Salzburg, in Austria, you can have corporations own football clubs. It's not like Germany, there's no 50 plus 1. So in Salzburg, it was quite simple until two years ago. Red Bull was the owner of RB Salzburg, and the club was even called Red Bull Salzburg. Very simple, straightforward, they were the owner. Now, in order to get licensing with UEFA, they had, they had to completely disentangle the two clubs, right? UEFA looked at the ownership construct at, at Leipzig and said, well, yes, on paper, um, the membership club owns Leipzig and our Red Bull only owns the operations that runs the football. But of course, Red Bull has, has them, has a say in the club, even if it's only 49%. So you can't have that. You can't have Red Bull own 49% of one club and 100% of another club. UEFA doesn't allow this. So then you, Red Bull said, okay, fine, we sell Red Bull, we sell Red Bull Salzburg. They sold it and they, they turned, turned it over to uh, the membership club. Now Red Bull Salzburg is a membership club and Sal Red Bull is only the sponsor. On paper, they only sponsor it, right? That's the relationship there. It's no ownership, sponsorship. So that's how they were able to disentangle it. They then installed a new sporting director because Ralf Rangnick actually used to be the sporting director of both clubs at the same time and a club in New York um, to just throw that into the mix. But we leave that alone because otherwise it gets complicated. Uh, and Oliver Minslav was the CEO of both clubs. And Minslav then disentangled it in this way. So of course, in Salzburg, if you are the 100% sponsor of a club, yes, you, you, you know, this club is still dependent on you, but on paper, the members own the club. Yeah. I don't know how many members RB Salzburg has, but I don't think it's a lot. And then in UEFA, RB Salzburg actually plays as FC Salzburg. So in a nutshell, that's how they got the licensing done. Oh yeah, and they had to remove one of the bulls in Salzburg's <laughs> logo. So <laughs> Can uh, I just say, Manu, that is absolutely brilliantly surmised. I, I hope it, that it, makes it, sense. If it doesn't no, send it does. a message, and, uh, I, I'll try to explain it again. Of course, we all know <laughs> that if you were a 100% sponsor of a club, you might not be the owner. But as you say in German, those who pay make the decisions, right? <laughs> but on paper, you know, it's not ownership, it's sponsorship. It's a very different, legally, it's a very different term. And I mean, Chris, we have said this many times. UEFA can only prove what's on paper. Uh, yeah, they can. Yeah. Um, it was just interesting to read in their press pack um, that they said and clubs with two very good ties with two two clubs with very close ties, which there was obviously a long and independent report that said there was no such tie. So that did tickle me. <laughs> well, it's also twenty-five players have moved between the two clubs in the last three years. So yeah, coincidence. Wow. It's coincidence. And every that's time that's the two. Up. They pay money to each other too, every time. You know, goes in the one pocket, goes out the other pocket. <laughs> Again, it's only, we can only prove what's on paper. Yeah. Well, in the Europa League, when it matters on the pitch, RB Leipzig, which is Razen Ball Sport Leipzig. We now know. Thank you. Against uh, FC uh, Salzburg. So they, it was 3-2 to Salzburg, which I have to say was a real surprise. I expected Leipzig to win this one, and they won't meet again until November. That one, I, I guess all of us would agree, came a bit out of the blue. Uh, no, Chris, you did the match report on this, but I saw Salzburg um, in the Europa League semi-final against Olympic Marseille, and I think Salzburg probably still feel hard done by that they didn't win that match because it was a pretty controversial ending to that game. FC Salzburg, it's... In your, in UEFA competitions, they, they're a very good team. I would actually say that currently they might be better than RB Leipzig. Mm, well, the result certainly bears that out. And then, of course, in the Bundesliga, Eintracht Frankfurt, they had to go away from home and face them. And, uh, Matthew, this match, obviously you were there, so it ended in a draw. Yeah, it was a fair result. Eintracht had the best of the, the first half, really should have gone 2 0 up. Luka Jovic went through and and took a little bit too long and, and Golashki did well to, to save it. And then Leipzig came out of the after half time and, and played quite well, took the lead through a penalty through it was interesting. I I love it when there's a penalty and Timo Werner went up to the penalty spot there and he's sort of sheepishly standing around waiting for the ball but uh Forsberg had already claimed it, had it had it under his arm and walks slowly over to the spot and 
has a little conversation with, with Timo, which must have been something like, you know, Timo must have said, mate, can I take it? And, and Forsberg's like, nah, mate, I got this, you know. And, and Timo, Timo's like, but, but mate, I'm the striker. And he says, mate, don't worry, I got this, you know. So he puts it mm-hmm. away, but I just love those little, those little conversations. Surely you got that worked out before the game. But yeah, both managers after the match were, were happy with the point here after their European exertions. And as I say, it was a, it was a fair result, but really good to see Ante Rebic back. He came off the bench here with about 20 minutes to go and was heavily involved and had a really good chance to score the winner in, in the last couple of minutes with a close range shot that Galeski did get well, did well to save, but not a whole lot to really dissect in this game. Although I will say that Addy Hutzer has done a better job than, than I maybe thought he would. He, he's really doing well to try new things out. And we mentioned, didn't we guys last week? after that game at Dortmund that he might need to find a way to get Jovic and Haller into the team. Well, he did that here. And the way he did it was to go with three centre-backs, moving uh, Makoto Hasebi back into their, that position, which I think works well, especially with Ndika on his left. I thought that really worked well. The Costa has impressed me quite a bit. Kostic does pretty well on that left wing-back role. And if you throw Ante Rebic into this side now, behind Jovic and Haller, that's very exciting and has the potential to score a whole lot of goals. And he has a lot of options in, in central midfield. So still going to take Hutter time to figure this out. But what I like about his approach is that he's trying a lot of different things out, trying different players in different positions and formations. And I've got a bit of faith that slowly but surely he'll sort this out. And Frankfurt should finish in top half again. In the uh, Europa League, it was Marseille 1, Eintracht Frankfurt 2, Lucas Acampos Lucas Toro and Luka Jovic. So uh, that's completed where we look there. But actually, this is, and I hope I'm going to say this right, an Englischer Wochen, which means an English week, and that means midweek games. So, Manu, no time to breathe. What are the big games to watch out for? Well, yeah, we've got, um, it's not only Englischer Wochen, it's also Oktoberfest. Um, in Munich. Yeah. And, and Bayern... I saw some of your pictures. I'm amazed you're still able to talk to us. No, no, I, I'm actually still in Canada. I'm flying. When this podcast comes out, I'm probably somewhere over the Atlantic. Um, okay. And then, and then <laughs> I, I know, Matt, you are going to the Oktoberfest. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow, I guess. <laughs> Before the. Yeah, invite... I'll be down in München yeah. for that. And the game will be good. Yeah, we'll both be at the, the Bayern game. I got the confirmation uh, from FC Bayern today for the accreditation so there will be something special coming your way um on football guard network so i'm arriving in munich and basically straight from from the airport to the alliance uh, no time for jet lag for me and then uh so that's that's obviously a very big one the oktoberfest is a very special time in munich and um 1860 got to open the oktoberfest on saturday it didn't go so well for them um, in their home age and match in liga 3 but bayern um are playing their first oktoberfest game now on on Tuesday against Augsburg. And Augsburg, of course, um, it's only about a 70-kilometer drive from Munich. So this is, uh, I mean, a, not necessarily a big game. I I expect Bayern will crush Augsburg. And this is not because I do not uh, have the most love for Augsburg, as Chris and Matt know. But it's, I think that's just the reality of what, what's going to happen. And um, so that's a big one to watch out for for me. Um, another big one... Um, and not a lot of people will have this on the radar, is Dortmund against Nuremberg. And I say this because Nuremberg actually have a fan friendship with Schalke, which actually makes Dortmund against Nuremberg a rivalry, um, something that not a lot of people know. And um, so I think that's a good match to look out for. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be quite an exciting midweek and uh, you'll be there, Manu. So can we expect regular updates and and we should head to the website which really is my excuse to give you now the chance to plug the football grad network in all its glory yeah so i'm doing um bayern augsburg and then on wednesday something a bit special i'm going to the other munich derby or the s-bahn derby as they call it because it's um only an s-bahn stop or the suburban train ride stop from Giesing, um, where 1860 played, to Unterhaching, where Unterhaching play, And uh, so we do, I'm doing that game. I got the accreditation confirmed for that. So it's a derby week um, on the Football Grad Network for, for our German readers. But yeah, so we got Bayern against Augsburg previewed. Uh, we got Dortmund against uh, Nuremberg previewed. 
And um, then we have a bunch of other content coming your way um, at Football Grad Live. Matt, you had a couple games as well. And then I, I think, Chris, you're probably going to do one or two games as well, um, at least coverage, right? So there's going to be tons of coverage um, coming up this week. Yeah, I'll be at the Mainz-Wolfsburg game. Looking forward to that. I love going to the Opel Arena. And I'll be at the Bayern München game, but as a uh, as a drunk spectator and not part <laughs> of the, uh, the the press contingent. Excellent. Uh, Chris, anything you want to leave us with before we all uh, disappear? I know Manu's got a flight to catch. Um, no, no, all good. You can catch everything that we're doing and the places that um, you and Manu and Matt have already said. Fantastic. Well, I'm only speaking for me, but I thought that went very well. Uh, Bryce, who knows when he'll be back? I guess he's got a, a honeymoon or, or something. Uh, I, I believe I read about those. They sound fun. Uh, so, guys, thank you very much. Um, Manu, safe travels and all that. Skagen Pressing Podcast will be back whenever it's back. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.